Wednesday morning, March 7th, 2012. Let's go to the bullpen. Time for our Relief Pitchers podcast. Also, some AL only and NL only starting pitchers that we were not able to get to yesterday. Adam Azer with Scott White and Al Melchior. Welcoming you to the CBSSports.com Fantasy Baseball Podcast, where we are one day away from announcing the winners of the Join the Podcast League contest. Alex is dancing. I am doing my little podcast league dance here. You're excited for the podcast league. I am. Can't wait. All right. Well, we will be still getting submissions until tomorrow morning, and then on Thursday's show, we'll tell you who's in, and we're not going to tell you who's out, because that'd be too many people, but we'll tell you who's in. Send us an email. Fantasy baseball at cbsinteractive.com. If you want your question read on the air, put podcast in the subject line. Fantasy baseball at cbsinteractive.com. If you want to join the podcast league, put podcast league in the subject line. Follow us on Twitter at CBS Scott White, at Al Melk CBS, Al M E L C CBS, at Adam Azer, A I Z E R, at CBS Fantasy BB, and Facebook.com slash CBS Sports Fantasy Baseball. So we pick up from where we left off yesterday. Just before we get into the AL only, NL only starting pitchers, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about today on the show. Craig Kimbrell, is he the Carlos Santana of relievers? We'll give you the top 20, and then we'll go even further. We'll break down some guys like J.J. Putz and Rivera and Valverde and Cordero and Hanrahan, etc. Head-to-head and roto strategies. What's different in each uh, format? Position battles still to be determined. Some bullpen situations and you know all that good stuff. AL only pitchers, Scott. Starting pitchers. Just to, to finish off yesterday's podcast, who do you like? Well, in the AL only leagues, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw out one name that I think is off most people's radar, and that's Luke Hoshaver, who uh, is a former number one overall pick. It's been a complete disaster in the majors, but last year. Over his final 12 starts, he had a 3.52 ERA, a 1.13 WHIP, and 7.7 Ks per nine. 27 years old last year, throws a 93 mile an hour fastball. I think he may have turned the corner, so a definite sleeper there. Uh, to rattle off a few other names, um, I like uh, I, I like Jake Arrieta before he started to have some injury troubles last year. He looked like he was. Uh, potentially going to have a breakout season. Dallas Braden is going overlooked. Um, He's coming back from an elbow injury, and uh, he should be back, I think, the first third of the season, sometime in April, late April, early May, something like that. So he'll be a big contributor in AL-only formats all season. Uh, I mentioned the other... The Oakland rookie trio, I call them Brad Peacock, Jared Parker, Tommy Malone. Uh, They're all late-rounders in AL-only leagues as well. And I think that's it for the AL. Well, Dallas Braden didn't go overlooked by Al. He did not. And neither did Luke Koshaver either. Um, So he's on my radar, as well as Braden. Um, So at least in this room, those guys aren't being overlooked. A few of these names I mentioned yesterday. I think, Scott, you mentioned a few. Phil Hughes uh, could get back on track this year uh, with a a solid rotation shot there. Um, Bartolo Colon, I know I mentioned yesterday. Still like him today. Uh, (laughs) Yin Chen of the the Orioles uh, looks to have a a spot uh, wrapped up there. Mild time uh, for at least this year's favorite, Henderson Alvarez. Oh, yeah. Who does seem to be going... uh, Pretty, I wouldn't say early, but you know, not overlooked in our early drafts. I have Braden, and then a uh, guy I mentioned yesterday, Phil Humber. Umber, excuse me. Phil Humber. H, H is silent. 
the the head-to-head production is not silent though and then uh, <laughs> a couple of young arms to uh keep your eye on for mid-season call-ups uh danny holtson and james paxton both of the mariners okay. i realize we mentioned five athletics pitchers in yeah. our al only sleepers well hey if they're trading away everybody who's worthwhile on their team they might as well get some good young pitchers out of it right yeah and bartolo Colon. and bartolo Colon. <laughs> Al, uh, who are your NL only guys? All right, not as long of a list for whatever reason, but I've got Bronson Arroyo, uh, a year removed from Mono, and you know don't discount the impact that that Mono uh, probably had on on his uh, performance last year. Randy Wells, um, who pitched pretty well after uh, a while after coming off of the DL last season, a good finish for him. Eric Bedard, very good injury risk sleeper there. Uh, Edinson Volquez, good change of scenery for him going to San Diego. And then two young arms for the NL, Drew Pomeranz and Trevor Bauer. Scott? Pomeranz, Bauer, Volquez, Bedard, all on my list as well, so I won't cover them. A couple guys who are close to being mixed league options, really. Bud Norris, I like the strikeout rate with the Astros. think he's trending the right direction. Run support's an issue, but uh, still a guy... Well, we're targeting Mike Miner. I like his strikeout to walk ratio at such a young age, especially for a left-hander. Uh, he's pretty much assured a rotation spot in Atlanta, even after Tim Hudson comes back. Uh, Juan Nicasio, before he broke his neck last year, he uh, he looked like he was plenty capable of competing at Coors Field, and and he looks healthy so far this spring. So that's good for lots of different reasons. Sure. And uh, and that's that's, that's it for it. the NL. Yep. So it's Wednesday today. Last night was the Marlins' first game in their new stadium. Al, did you go? I did not go. No. I heard I'm... some good things. A bunch of people in the office went. So did they uh, set off the home run feature? No. When... Apparently, it wasn't working. Um, that big weird thing that I said looks like something that would have been outside of Mr. Burns's casino in his episode <laughs> of The Simpsons. Um, somebody said it looks like it'd be an imagination land if you're a South Park fan. Uh, no, that thing did not go off. Well, then I don't feel like I missed anything not going <laughs> last night. But it got good reviews. Everybody seemed to say it was very impressive from the outside. A little bit limited of a food selection. I heard that last as well. Night, but uh, I actually oh, yeah, know you somebody. Heard the same who, conversations. Yeah, I was here. and I actually know somebody who's involved with the concessions there. So I, I think that's a work in progress. Yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. So buy low on Marlins concessions. Relief pitchers. <laughs> All right, I'll go ahead and ask it. We said that catcher could have been a three-word podcast, draft Carlos Santana. Is Craig Kimbrell the same kind of guy um, when it comes to relief pitchers? 46 saves, 127 strikeouts last season. Only two relievers had more, and they were both starting pitchers. They were just RP eligible, Corey Lubke and Felipe Paulino. Kimbrell was 40.5 points better than John Axford <laughs> and Drew Storen. Santana, by comparison, 50 points better than Mike Napoli. So a big gap between number one and number two and three here. Uh, Kimbrell, you see that guy? I think Kimbrell is in a class of his own at uh, the relief pitcher spot because of the crazy strikeout rate, because he pitches for a Braves team that has a deep pitching staff, uh, but a so-so offense going to play in a lot of close games, rack up a bunch of saves. I think those are, are pretty much definites for him, and that's why I expect him to be the number one again. But at the same time, I can't recommend him with quite the same gusto that I recommended Carlos Santana because... Uh, the relief pitcher position—it's the most—it's um, the most finicky of all the positions in fantasy. Uh, saves are 
obviously what's your the main thing you're looking at here and they depend on so many external factors that you have you know the rankings could look upside down really by the end of the season and you have guys coming up mid-season making impacts who nobody even saw coming you have guys falling out at the the drop of a hat so uh there there's just so much turnover here that it's not a position I like to invest heavily in. Early with early picks, you mean? Yeah, or with early with picks. I mean, you need to draft closers at yeah, some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. But I understand. <laughs> uh, just clarifying, Al. Um, I'm not going to be the guy who who goes for Craig Kimbrell because looking at average draft position on CBSSports.com, he's going in the fifth round. Your next closers are going in the eighth round: Papelbon, Storin, Heath Bell. Matt Moore is a relief pitcher who's going in the sixth round. We talked about him yesterday. He'll eventually be uh, starting pitcher eligible. But would you rather wait until the eighth round to get a Papelbon or a Storin or a Bell? Axford and Rivera are going in the ninth round rather than take Kimbrell in the fifth. Yeah, I would. And yet I've been the guy take Kimbrell. I don't remember which draft or which league it was, but I, I did uh, pull that maneuver in one league already. But I don't see doing that very often. It's probably something I did and I maybe would do in the future just because I'm looking at my options at other positions and saying, blech, and okay, I get a chance to. <laughs> I, what was that? Blech. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, but... Uh, that, that's pretty bad for me to say that, too. I mean, it would have to be really bad options at my other positions. To get a blick out of you? Yeah. Yeah. So if if I were to say that, you, you know I'm drafting Craig Kimbrell. But uh, most likely, yeah, I'm going to wait. And, um, you know, especially like you mentioned Axford, or actually you didn't mention Axford. Is, is he falling? Uh, yeah, based I, on what you I have mentioned there? he went in the ninth round behind Papelbon, Storin, and Heath Bell. It's interesting that the ADP not really reflecting our rankings right now. Not completely out of whack. Yeah. But we have Axford number two in uh, Roto Leagues, number four in head-to-head leagues. So he was the fifth closer. Yeah, so you, and, and with relievers, taken. you can, you know, there's there's no shock there that uh, those, those um, rankings can get jumbled. But I think Axford's the one guy, maybe with Brian Wilson, but I still worry about him health-wise. But, okay, those are maybe the two guys I could see really challenging Kimbrell. Yeah, it's... It's interesting that you point to how out of whack the average draft positions are with our rankings because it, it was kind of a thing, knowing how much turnover and how much changes at this position. Uh, we we knew we wanted Kimbrel first, but when it, it got to the discussion between Al and I of okay, how should the rest of this position look? It, it was just hard to care <laughs> who who right. exactly went second, who exactly went third. You know, you could make an argument for Axford, Drew Storin, Jonathan Papelbon, I think would be my choice to go second. But, you know, any of those guys could conceivably be there. And it, it doesn't make much of a difference to me who it is. Well, the one the one thing I didn't like in the rankings was Brian Wilson being 11th in Roto and 10th in head-to-head. Um I, I just feel like he, like you said, Al, he's got the upside to be the best closer in baseball. Yeah. And two years ago, he was the second best fantasy reliever behind um, behind Heath Bell. Yeah. So why is he so far down the list? Just it's, elbow. Yeah. Uh, the elbow issues from last year, plain and simple, because if it's not for that, first of all, you, you take out the, the early months and late months where he's dealing with injury, and he had a very good season, and just the fact that you know he's gotten a late start to his um, program this year because of the injury and that scares a lot of people off he is going in round 10 right now five rounds later than Craig Kimbrell I personally like that value a lot more I don't know if you guys agree I, I, right. I, I would mean, agree but all the closers are there Axford you said in the ninth round yeah um, 
Valverde puts in the eleventh round. We'll talk more to, about average to, draft position. In a bit. Right. To me, it seems like you take the last of that uh, ninth, tenth, eleventh round group as your number one closer, and, and really, I don't okay. care who it is. All right. Well, we'll get into that. Let's let's look at the rankings here. Top twenty: Craig Kimbrell and auction values here. Top twenty: uh, Kimbrell at twenty dollars. Axford, Storin, Heath Bell, fourteen dollars. Matt Moore, thirteen. Papelbon and Rivera and JJ Puts at twelve dollars. Ryan Madsen at eleven dollars. And number ten is Corey Lubke. Lubke at ten dollars. Uh, Brian Wilson, ten. Joel Hanrahan, ten. Soria and Andrew Bailey are at nine dollars. Jose Valverde, eight dollars. Sergio Santos, eight dollars. Joe Nathan, eight dollars. Rafael Betancourt, eight dollars. Jason Mott and Jordan Walden round out the top 20 at $7. So not a lot of separation there in terms of dollar values. Let me ask you about Jose Valverde. He's 15th in the rankings, and uh, he was pretty good last year. I'm trying to look up where he was last year. Um, but he was, he was obviously a lot better than top 15, than 15th. Uh, so why is he so far down the list? Uh, he was fourth, for, by the way, in head-to-head rankings. For me, it's just an age thing. I get the feeling... He's he's going earlier than where we actually have him ranked. A, a lot of what I do with ranking closers, the main thing you want is these guys, you want them to keep their jobs. You want them to keep getting saves all season. So any risk factor there, whether it's the elbow issue with Brian Wilson or age with Valverde uh, or uh, health issues with Andrew Bailey, anything like that is going to drop them to the end of the group because I want what I consider the most trustworthy guys at that position because as long as they're getting saves, you know they're going to be pretty darn good for you in fantasy. Al, what's your strategy? Head-to-head leagues. Uh, well, first of all, my strategy head-to-head versus um, Roto for closers, pretty much no difference. Um, but the strategy is pretty much, like I said, other than if I'm absolutely appalled by my uh, other options, I'm not going to take Kimbrel or a top, a top closer. I'm going to go for the middle to the bottom of that uh, first tier. In fact, can we talk about tiers now? Or are we, yeah, yeah. We, all I'm right. So I, so I do have Kimbrel alone in, in a, a top tier, but then I've got a very robust uh, second tier that goes um, Axford, Storin, Heath Bell, Matt Moore, Papelbon, Rivera, Puts, Madsen, Lupke, Wilson, Hanrahan, Soria. All those guys um, I view as pretty equal. So you have um, no problem with any of those guys being your number one. Absolutely not. Can you just read that list again for our yeah. listeners who are driving right now? <laughs> Somebody just cut them off and they were like, oh, I missed Melchior's tier. All right. Take a deep breath. And here we go. Axford, Storin, Heath Bell, Matt Moore, Papelbon, Rivera, Putz, Madsen, Lupke, Brian Wilson, Hanrahan, Soria. And I did those three bottom guys, actually four, Lupke, Wilson, Hanrahan, Soria, I, I have them at the bottom there, but I, you know, I think potentially they could. It's, you know, Scott said they could be at the top. But any the thing one is, with with guys like Lukey and Matt Moore, they're obviously so different in Roto because they're not going to get you saved. Yeah, well, that's a that's, good point. That's the one difference that I did overlook a moment ago. But um, right, right. Let's just talk about that real quick, just to clarify yeah. for the listeners. I know we we mentioned it yesterday, so in case you missed it, head to head leagues usually five starting pitchers, two relievers. But the RP eligible guys like Matt Moore, like Corey Lukey, like Neftali Feliz. 
who eventually will have both RP and starting pitcher eligibility, whatever. You can put them in as a relief pitcher. You can really end up going with probably just one true closer and a starting pitcher as your two relievers, and that could be a huge advantage for you if you have a very good starting pitcher. Yeah, I mean, you don't even really have to draft a true closer in a head-to-head league. Yeah, you uh, could go with two. I haven't seen Chris Sale, Daniel Bard, or a couple of mixed league relevant options. I like to go ahead and draft a closer because I feel like even though the starting pitchers who are eligible at relief pitcher usually end up high in the rankings, if they have a bad start, uh, that zero in your lineup is hard to make up for or potentially even negative. Right. Uh, when you know most closers are going to give you double digits pretty much every week. So it's, it's good to have that reliable du- double digits guy in there, uh, but particularly the high end. Uh, starting pitcher relief pitchers, such as Matt Moore and Corey Lubke. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely willing to go the extra round or two to get them in my relief pitcher spot. Yeah, just to give you an idea, though, in head-to-head leagues, yeah, that's the leagues that Moore and Lubke and Feliz would have more value in, obviously. Moore goes in the sixth round in head-to-head leagues, the eighth round in Roto leagues. Feliz, 10th round in head-to-head, 15th in Roto. Lubke, 10th in head-to-head, 13th in Roto. Um, and in Roto, of the nine of the nine pitcher slots, we usually go with six starters and three relievers, right? Usually, uh, yeah. because it, it, you know it depends how deep the league is, how many teams are in it. Basically, it's it's uh, uh, you know there's going to be thirty closers in the game, so you divide thirty by the number of teams in your league, and you want to round up, and that's how many closers you should have. You want to be one of the teams that has the most. Uh, the highest, if the closers were distributed evenly, you want to be on the higher end of that even distribution. So in a standard 12-team league, 30 closers, that would mean three closers. Um, and that's absolutely what I try to do. All right, Al, let's go back to your head-to-head strategy real quick. You yeah. said you, you, you listed that whole tier of guys that you want as your number one. Who do you want as your number two? Uh, see, whereas with the number one, I'm fine with going to the, the bottom of the list, but number two, I really do want to, to get the second guy pretty quickly after the first guy, especially if I've waited a while for the first guy, because then you're talking about a, a real drop off. It's not nearly as uh, a big, a a tier at that point. So, you know, I've got Andrew Bailey, uh, Valverde, Sergio Santos, Joe Nathan, Betancourt, Mott, uh, Naftali Feliz is a, a starter who'll be RP eligible. And then really, and well, one more guy I'll add is Kyle Farnsworth, who I like. And then everybody else to me is really pretty laden with risk. Okay. And even that first group is, is, is riskier. So I really like to get somebody in that first smaller group before I, you know, am stuck getting, let's say a Chris Perez or a, a Jordan Walton or a Cosmo Mall or somebody like that. You're, you're talking about as your second reliever? As my second reliever. Yeah, there have been times when I've been willing to wait even longer for my first reliever, uh, particularly a guy like Sergio Santos. They gave up a pretty good pro- uh, the Blue Jays gave up a pretty good pitching prospect to get him. Um, and looking at his peripherals last year, I trust he's going to be a great closer all year. So I'm fine with someone like that as my number one closer if I don't happen to get uh, a Joaquin Soria or a Joel Hanrahan or Ryan Madsen at a good value. Uh, but yeah, for my second closer, I, I'd rather not fall back on one of those super risky types like a Matt Caps or a uh, f- uh, Frank Francisco. 
Um, totally losing my list here. No, I or mean, Chris Perez, who's going to miss time probably at the beginning of the season. Well, what's the latest on Perez? How long do we expect him to be out? It's hard to say because it's an oblique strain, and that's a variable. You know, it just depends. It's a case by case thing. Do so. you recommend if you have a spot to in, maybe in a roto league getting Vinny Pistano if you draft Perez? Certainly, if you have a reserve draft, yeah, you you absolutely have to. That's do exactly that. what I did in our auction. Yeah, I, I bought Chris Perez. I drafted I'm, Pistano. I'm not high on Perez in general because his strikeout rate completely tanked last year. So I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to be able to hold that job all year, quite honestly, even when he comes back. There's there's bust potential in him. So I would definitely include him among that risky group, even if he was completely healthy. Do we have any position battles going on, races for the closer spot? A few. And I was actually, we talked about this the other day, Scott and I, and I was actually surprised there weren't more. But, the, but there is certainly one in Los Angeles with the Dodgers, Kenley Jansen versus Javi Guerra. Uh, with the White Sox, we've got uh, probably three guys in play, Addison Reed, Matt Thornton, and Jesse Crane. And what's the third one that I'm missing? I know there's a Oakland. third one. Oakland. Oakland is go. the one that's most wide open to yeah. me. I, I have no idea who the front runner is. It's it's Grant Balfour, uh, Fotino de los Santos, uh, Joey Devine, and Fuentes. Brian Fuentes, who I guess most people would consider the front runner just because he has experience, but he's been... He's been bad the last two years and obviously isn't a long-term solution for them. So I'm, I'm not buying him as, as a real favorite. Uh, and really, you know, in the Dodgers situation, Javi Guerra is pretty much the guy going into the year. It's going to be something that either he'll lose the job or, or Kenley Jansen will just blow them out of the water, I think. That's the only way that's going to change. And uh, the White Sox situation... Right, right now, Thornton is the front runner. Um, Addison Reed is, uh, you know, we'll get into him a little more with sleepers. But uh, Steven Strasburg's closer in college, a uh, guy who averaged 12 strikeouts per nine coming up through the minors with low ERAs and a much better walk rate, even than like a, the Craig Kimbrels of the world. So he's a guy I like to eventually take over, even if Thornton gets the job right away. Jesse Crane, I don't feel like stands a real chance. So is it? Too simplified to say. Oh, we left out one, Baltimore. Uh, that has uh, uh, it's between Jim Johnson, um, Kevin Gregg, and Matt Lindstrom probably, with Johnson being the front runner. But considering Baltimore, their lack of pitching, a likely last place finish, I'm not really counting on any of those guys to help me in fantasy this year. Yeah, I don't know that Johnson will win the job, but he's the only one I would trust that if he won the job that he could probably keep it. Okay, is it fair to say that a guy like a Jim Johnson or a Fuentes or a Javi Guerra, maybe Guerra being the most high-end there, uh, but this, the guys we just talked about, not good enough to be your number two reliever, but no. maybe good enough to be your number three reliever in a Roto League? I'd rather them not be my number three reliever, but yeah, if if, if it came to that, I'd be willing to to take them as my third reliever. Sometimes that's that's your best option, although I usually go for the guy that I think is going to come out of nowhere and take the job from those guys than the guy that I'm pretty sure is going to fail. 
Let's talk about some guys, just quick hits on, on some of the top guys here. John Axford, second last year in head-to-head, third in Roto. He gave up four runs in his first outing of 2011. He <laughs> gave up 12 the rest of the season, 46 saves and 48 opportunities. Do you out. remember the panic Yep. after that first game? Yep, I remember Jamie Eisenberg, our, our fantasy football writer. We played basketball that day. I think it was a, it was a Tuesday, <clears throat> whatever it was, and... Uh, I remember he was uh, just saying that he had this big lead and he blew it that day in a points league and uh, he was so so disappointed. So anyway, yeah, Axford recovered and he was just fine. So, He's yeah, great. That was panic. Good great. Uh, lesson for all of us, I think. Yeah, <laughs> don't don't panic. Uh, some of these studs they have some bad outings. All right, so he's great. We had no problem with him. He's number two in our rankings. Uh, Drew Storen basically was tied with Axford and head to head. Was a little bit better in Roto. Yeah, I mean. He had a breakout season, a guy who was projected to be a closer from the time he was drafted, so really it wasn't that much of a surprise. Although nobody was really that high on him at this time a year ago because he was coming off an awful spring and and they were going with Sean Burnett as their closer out of the gate. Clearly those worries are in the past. He's an elite guy. Heath Bell, 7th last year in head-to-head, 10th in Roto. Yeah, 51 strikeouts and 21 walks and 62 and two-thirds. That is a, a bad strikeout rate. And now he's a Marlin. Al, what do you think about Bell? Yeah, I mean, that really came out of nowhere last year for Bell because um, he had been pretty consistent as a, a good strikeout-to-walk guy. And I, th- I think he'll rebound because, you see, even you know guys like Mariano Rivera have had their off-seasons where they have mediocre strikeout rates and they come right back. So I think Bell has proven enough to us over the years. And he's going to a situation where... Uh, not that he really suffered for save opportunities with the Padres, but I think he'll definitely not be at risk of uh, losing those with the Marlins. So I think he restores his status as an elite guy. If I can have a little aside here, kind of on that note, I've, I've had a theory on closers that I've put into practice a few times, usually with good results, uh, because I feel like the traditional thinking is, Closers for good teams are better than closers for bad teams. I don't feel like that's necessarily true. Heath Bell is an example of that over the years. Was a and lock, lock for 40 saves Soria with the Padres. Soria is a great example of that. Soria is a good example. What it, what it more comes down to, I think, is um, when, it, when your team wins, if they win by not scoring many runs by pitching well, which obviously is the case for the Padres. It's been the case for the Giants over the last few years with Brian Wilson. That's when you see the closer get in the 40-save range. They you know, they may only win 70 times a year, but there's going to be so many 3-2, to 2-1 two, two to one wins in there that the closers are going to get their saves. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you have a team like Baltimore where – when they win, it's usually because they outslug the opposing team. They obviously have very little to offer starting pitching-wise. Uh, then the closers are going to suffer, and that's a big reason why I don't recommend somebody like uh, Jim Johnson. Well, Heath Bell, to get back to him, he's going to a team that's probably going to win with pitching. I mean, I know I know they're, that they're Mar- their lineup is better, the Marlins, but still... The pitching is going to have to win for them, right? I mean, and they have a big ballpark again. Yeah, no, that's a that especially is a good point that I think the scoring will be low in uh, the Marlins Stadium, and I think yeah, their lineups improve, but they'll be middle of the pack. They're not going to be a team right. that's going to um, crush opponents on a regular basis. So I, I don't worry about Bell, Heath Bell, or JJ Puts, Scott. I take Puts because. Uh, He's coming off a season where he had a great strikeout-to-walk ratio. 
Um, I feel like Arizona, the improvements made, they made in their pitching staff, they're the favorites in the NL West for sure. Uh, so I think those two combined make puts the, the better option in my eyes. Al, Mariano Rivera, sub-2 ERA, four straight seasons, seven out of eight. He is 42 years old. Are you worried about him? Not at all. Um, the only thing I worry about with him is keeper league uh, potential because this could very well be his last season. But I think he, if it is his last season, he'll go out with a bang. He's seventh in our rankings. He is just behind Jonathan Papelbon. But, Scott, you said you might take Papelbon second overall amongst closers. Yeah, last year after uh, kind of a little bit of a downward tread in the, pre- the previous couple years, uh, he took a step forward was striking out a bunch of guys again and and this is this kind of plays into the theory where with the Red Sox yeah his peripherals were usually very good but I don't think he's ever had a 40 save season because the Red Sox good all around but especially on offense now he's going to the Phillies which have a great starting rotation some issues on offense especially with Ryan Howard out so I think he could be in line for his best save season yet so you're buying Francisco Cordero. I'm sorry, Sergio Santos in Toronto. The only thing I would worry about is that Francisco Cordero is there. Any struggle, you got a proven closer there. I don't. I know Scott. You said you like guys who have a solidified role. That doesn't yeah. concern you at all in Toronto. No, because I think it's solidified. That's like I said before. That's why they got him. They got him to be their closer, and. Uh, Although Santos was kind of out of the role for the White Sox last year, at the end of last year, that was, to me, Ozzie Guillen with a quick hook, maybe a last-ditch effort to try and save his job. I don't know. Well, no, he wanted out, I guess. <laughs> but uh, To sabotage his job. Yeah, maybe that. Yeah, Santos, Santos, to me, proved last year that he is a good closer, and I think a team that believes in him will uh, that'll hold up there. Joel Hanrahan is a borderline top 12 guy. Uh, why? Why after he was, you know, we were pretty high on him last year? Because his strikeouts went down so much from 100 to 61 in one fewer inning in 2011. That's, that's a part of it, but, you know, I'll just make the point again that I don't see that much difference between my number two guy and my, like my number 12, 13 guy. Okay. So it's not a knock at all on Hanrahan. You know, he's behind between rather Brian Wilson and Joaquin Soria in my rankings. So, uh, those are two guys I like a lot, which means I also like Hanrahan a lot. Um, they're, they're small gradations. So it's the drop in the K rate. Uh, the fact that I'm not sure he's going to get a lot of save opportunities with the pirates, um, and that he doesn't have quite the established track record that a lot of those other guys in the top dozen or so have. But it's small things that, that break those ties. Al, are you confident in Joe Nathan? Um, for my number two guy, yeah. I mean, not so confident that I would draft him as a number one guy, even though he's one of the best closers in all of baseball just a few years ago. But I really I think he's going to um, fall pretty far in a lot of drafts because he had ugly numbers last year, and people are still probably worried about him as a Tommy John uh, comeback player. But uh, I think he'll be a very, very good number two reliever. Problems over there, Scott? Yeah, I'm making faces because Nathan <laughs> is one of the guys I had flagged as a potential bust. Uh, because velocity was a a big issue for him early on, and I understand it got better over the course of the season, but still not quite to the level it used to be, uh, which is why his ERA, there wasn't a major correction in his ERA. Um, He still was more hittable than he was during his prime with the Twins, and while I think he's good enough to be 
an effective closer. Going to Texas, where he's got to get used to being a more hittable pitcher at age 37, to me, that's a little scary. And uh, knowing that they have overflow in their starting rotation, a uh, potential closing candidate in Ogando. Um, Mike Adams. Mike Adams, yeah. Th- there's there's some risk there. So Nathan or Carlos Marmol? Nathan. <laughs> no, yeah, Marmol's a guy, an, another guy have a, as a bust. Nathan or Jordan Walden? I, I like Walden, but there just have been so many rumors about his job security that that worries me. And the Angels are clearly in a, a buy a championship now mode that I could see them demoting Walden to a setup role. So for not, who? yeah, not for anybody right now. Yeah, but yeah, I, I see. I know what you mean. There, there's, there's still. I think if he blows a couple saves early, there's a chance they could go out and get a guy. Okay. To, um, all right, let's get let's do some comparisons then. Just uh, just say a name, Papelbon or Axford? Axford, Papelbon slightly. <laughs> Mariana Rivera or uh, Joe Hanrahan? Mo. Yeah, I'll take Mo. Uh, he's a guy we haven't talked about though. Rivera? Yeah, he's pretty old. He said he's not. Al said he's not worried about him. He's uh, old, but he's, oh, he we just did talk keeps about produce him, yeah. every year. I yeah, mean, okay. No drop off. Yeah, I'm not really. Al said, "Don't either. don't draft him in keeper leagues." I was sleeping. I guess I don't know. Jason Mott or Sergio Santos? Hmm. I'll take Sergio Santos. I'm not convinced of Mott's job security, particularly since they still have guys like Fernando Salas. Um, uh, is it, <laughs> I'm forgetting the guy's I, name now, Eduardo. Well, the Sanchez. Sanchez, yes. I mean, there's actually a whole bunch of guys. Yeah, uh, Lance even, Lynn, even beyond that, right? So, yeah, no, I what Scott said, Santos. Would you take Ryan Madsen in the twelfth round? This is based on our average draft position, or John Axford in the ninth round? Madsen. Okay. Uh, would you take Brian Wilson in the tenth round, or Andrew Bailey in the thirteenth round? Uh. I think I'd, there's somebody else, I'd, a hitter or a starting pitcher, I'd rather take in the 10th. So I'll say Andrew Bailey in the 13th. Bailey or Soria, same round. Bailey Soria. or Soria, yeah. For sure. <laughs> okay. All right, let's do some sleepers, breakouts, and busts. We'll talk about some of the guys further down on the list. Uh, Scott, you want to start with your sleepers? Yeah, and I should add, I, I'm not, this position in particular, it's hard to distinguish between sleepers and breakouts. Um, you can lump them together. Then. Yeah, sleepers and breakouts. Uh, Joaquin Soria is actually one of those guys who uh, I feel like he's falling a lot. Even though just this time last year he was considered an elite closer. Really, once he got his act together mechanically last year, he was the same guy for the last four months of the season. So I still consider him elite. Um, I like uh, Brandon League because I think he proved himself last year, and he's one of those situations in Seattle. Decent pitching, low-scoring team. He's a number two or a number three? Uh, to me, he's a number two, okay. but he's getting drafted as a number three, I think. Okay. Uh, Rafael Betancourt, first real opportunity to close in Colorado. He's old, but he handled the job just fine down the stretch last season. Uh, Kyle Farnsworth, uh, great peripherals last season. He was kind of a, a fluke as far as the... Um, the theory goes because obviously the Rays with great pitching, he should have gotten more saves than he did. And uh, I guess I'll, well, okay, some lower end guys, Thornton, Reed, I think are both worth drafting late. Javi Guerra, I actually feel like is is 
has a pretty good chance of keeping the job for the Dodgers. As great as Kenley Jansen is, and he's a better pitcher, all of that. Garrett blew only two saves last year, and over his final 36 appearances had a 2.04 ERA, strikeout per inning guy. Uh, I think I, I don't necessarily see him do, going bad enough, doing something wrong enough that he's going to lose his job. So I like him in the late rounds. All right, a lot of overlap here, but uh, like Soria, I think he's falling way too far. You already know I like Joe Nathan. Like Farnsworth, for the reasons that Scott said, uh, my ultimate fallback guy for number two is Frank Francisco. Underrated every single year. He strikes guys out. Um, he's had a, a history of giving up homers, even though with the, the fence is coming in, I don't think that'll be as much of a problem at City Field. I like Francisco as a low-end number two. Um, and then for head-to-head leagues, I like Daniel Bard. I think people are scared off by his lack of... Uh, of starting experience, but the early reports out of camp are really good. And um, they look good yesterday. Yeah. I think, I think he'll be fine as a number two guy in head to head. Really. I like any of those guys who are starting pitchers, relief pitcher eligible. So we can just throw them all in there. Okay. Sale, (laughs) Aaron Crow, even why not? Would you rather take Daniel Bard or, uh, Sergio Santos? Uh, Santos is a safer thing. Bard or, Carlos Marmol. Did I go Bard there? Okay. Uh, let's do bust then, Al. Go ahead. All right. Carlos Marmol. How about him? Beautiful. I mean, he's <laughs> been uh, skating on thin ice for a long time now, and, and this could be the year. Uh, even though the Cubs don't have great options to replace him, you know, they've got Kerry Wood, maybe Samarja. Um, you know, I, I just think he's uh, on a – he's, he's going to have uh, a real – he has a real <laughs> risk of losing his job. Uh, I already mentioned Walden. Uh, again, through no fault of his own sure. necessarily. Um, Brandon League, I don't know. Like he, he does have good peripherals, even though I mean, not great strikeout rate, but great control. Um, you know, should pr- give you a good ERA. But I just have a sense that he could maybe get traded to, in a situation where he goes back to setup. Um, you know, so I just don't feel really good about about League, and I think even though he's not being drafted super high, that uh, he could wind up producing even less value than he's being drafted for. Scott, some busts? We already talked about Nathan. Um, Al talked about Marmol. And I agree, his whips through the roof, even though he had allowed 6.6 hits per nine innings last year. So I don't see much room for him to improve. Uh, Brett Myers is one of is, is an interesting case for a lot of reasons. He's kind of in between a sleeper and a bust for me. Uh, because even though he was great as a closer in 2007, 2007 was a long time ago. I'm not sure he's capable of throwing as hard as he did then. Um, and plus, the Astros are, are close to being a triple-A team. They're, they're so bad, both pitching and hitting, that I'm, I'm not sure there's any chance Myers is going to get 30 saves. Um, plus, he's SP eligible. Not that I think that matters to people. Oh, but right. Roto, it's worth it noting. Really matter, but yeah, in, that, in that's all he's eligible matter. at right now. Yeah. Um, so he would be another bust for me. And I'll, I'll go ahead and throw Kenley Jansen in there, even though it's possible he could end up being a breakout player also if he does get in the closer role, since I think Guerra is capable of keeping that job. Uh, Jansen's actually getting drafted before him, and that obviously puts him at risk of being a bust. So did we cover AL only and NL only guys, or are we should we go even deeper? You know, it's some, one thing to look at are guys who could take over for a struggling closer. I know we've sort of alluded to that a little bit. 
But AL only, NL only guys, Al? I mean, at, the, yeah, at this point, it's guys that you think will take somebody else's job. So I mentioned League uh, as a guy I think who could lose his job or get traded. So I like Tom Wilhelmson as the replacement in Seattle. Um, there's also Chance Ruff in there, but I've been drafting Wilhelmson in some AL only leagues. Um, and just looking down the list here, uh, Francisco, I like, but he has a history of injury. John Roush could be a guy in NL only leagues who could, uh, could, could be useful. Similarly, Houston street with his injury history could provide some, uh, opportunities for Luke Gregerson, who I've liked for a long time and could be a closer still someday. So just a few names there. Um, does, does it make sense in a standard league to draft guys that don't give you any saves guys like a Tyler Clippard? who had a really good year last year, but didn't give you any saves. Um, but he'll help your whip, maybe. He had some good strikeout numbers. Guys like uh, Venters or David Robertson. Is it? Do you ever draft guys like that? In deep leagues, all three of those guys are probably your three best options once the closers and potential closers are out of the way because they will still help you in practically every other category. Other in, than saves, right? In standard leagues, on the other hand, I've seen those guys get drafted it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I feel like other setup men like them will emerge this year. And uh, to me, the non-save, non-win guys are only worth adding if you discover you have a definite need in ERA and whip at some point during the season and have to kind of alter your uh, strategy in the middle of the, the run there. All right, let's read some emails. Fantasy baseball at cbsinteractive.com. Put podcasts in the subject line. And again, if you want to join our podcast league, put podcast league in the subject line. Don't send them after Thursday morning because we will have picked by then. Robert from L.A., who would you rather have as your second relief pitcher, Daniel Bard or Houston Street? I'm going to say Street for now. and I'll, I'll wait to see a little more from Bard this spring. I could change my mind. Street, obviously, an injury risk, but he's entering that uh, situation where Heath Bell thrived over the last few years, so I think he could end up being a, a good number two reliever. Ryan in Boston says, hey, big boys. And I got to say, Ryan, I, I was a little creeped out by that greeting. <laughs> You're not the person I want calling you big boy. But anyway, we'll read your question. <clears throat> 12 team head to head keeper league. We're allowed 10 keepers. My position keepers are Carlos Santana, Cano, Castro, Zimmerman, Jay Bruce, Cargo. Pitchers are Hamels, Harren, Pineda, and Latos. Is it worth trading one of those pitchers for Eric Hosmer or waiting to draft a first baseman later in the draft? I would trade one of those pitchers for Hosmer. Um, Latos or Pineda, I'd be willing to give up either. To get Hosmer, because I know, I, I would assume with that many keepers, all the elite first basemen are gone. It wouldn't surprise me if even like an Ike Davis is gone. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd do that. And I would trade Latos and be pretty confident that I could get somebody pretty close to him in quality uh, through the draft. Mike from Fres Fresno, I just traded Carl Crawford. Oh, I didn't like this one when I read it. I just traded Carl Crawford for Jaime Garcia. I have a stacked outfield with Kemp, Upton, and Braun needed pitching. Was this a smart move, or did I sell too low? What do you think of Jaime Garcia's upside the rest of the way? You sold too low? <laughs> sold yeah. too low. I, I Personally, I wouldn't have traded. I, I would have gotten a better pitcher for Carl Crawford. I, I wouldn't have either, and that's not to say that I think that. It's crazy to think that Garcia could outproduce Crawford this year. But again, it's, it's sort of like with the previous question. I think you can get uh, somebody similar to Garcia, um, and meanwhile, Crawford, even with the injury and, and last season's disappointments, could still wind up being a number one outfielder this year. Yeah, I'm just not sure 
uh, that Jaime Garcia, I, I'm not sure how much better he can get personally. And even though I think Crawford's a bus candidate, I, I agree it was a bad move. Sup, fellas? This is Talbot from Brockton, Massachusetts with a draft question. Talbot, much better intro than Ryan in Boston. Much better greeting. Fellas is better than <laughs> big boys. 12-team head-to-head snake draft. I've got the second pick. Pretty sure Cabrera will be first off the board. I am leaning towards Bautista at number two overall. Am I nuts? Obviously, I'll take Cabrera if he falls to me, and Tula was my other choice. What do you guys think? I took Bautista second yesterday in our AL only uh, mock over Pujol. So uh, clearly, I, I mean, that was an AL only, but even in a mixed league, in my opinion, not nuts at all. But not, but in a mixed league, you would take Pujols, right? I mean, that's kind of what we said when we did our first baseman preview. That's what I said. That's what you said? Not that I think Bautista is crazy second either, but I, I would, I would... I would still go with Pujols, I think, partially because I know Brett Lawry's there at third base, and and I would be happy drafting him three or four rounds later. Well, I'd take Joey Joey Bat second. Okay, so there, cool. <laughs> Eric LePage, I have the eighth pick in my twelve-team head-to-head league draft. I'm considering offering the eighth pick in the draft and my last pick in the twenty-fifth round for another team's second and fourth-round draft picks. Is this a good idea? considering I'm going for two value players over a first-round superstar. That, yes. For me, absolutely. Get a second and a fourth for, an eight, for the, a first and a 25th? Yeah. I, I think that's, yeah. Because um, a second-rounder is close, to, particularly if it's in the first half of second I was, round. Yeah, yeah, exactly what I was just going to say. Have to know that. Because I, I wouldn't do it late in the second round. I just think there's too much of a drop-off. We've seen it, I think, in every draft that we've done. You get in those last three picks or so in the second round. It's like, oh, what just happened there? So Yeah, who do I, you take? Andrew, <laughs> do you want Andrew McCutcheon? Yeah. Is he really second-rounder? That rounder? would make a difference for me. Uh, okay, okay. I got yeah. a little carried away. I'm sorry about that. But if it's well, like no. early to mid-second round. No, I, I still don't know that I'd, I'd totally discount it even if it was second half of second round because a fourth rounder you're talking about, an elite guy still, 25th rounder is a hope and a prayer. So yeah. two elite guys for one super elite guy. You know, generally speaking, I want the best player in a deal, but... I, I don't know. I, I still think it might be worth taking either way. Last question from Rodney. You talk of early, mid, and late round picks. Can you please define those? I'm not sure if rounds 5 and 6 are early or middle, and if late means 12 or 18, 12 or 18 through 21 or 23. Yeah, good good question. Uh, you know, Maybe we'll even disagree on this, but to me, early rounder is through round 5. Okay. And, so, then and, then late ra- and then mid is basically anything up to about the last five rounds. So, so the, the, mid, mid, the is mid is big. That's- yeah, there's a lot of early to mid and uh, mid to late designations in our updates. It's, it's all – I, I don't know. I don't really put a, define, a definite line on it. I just um, – to me, an early rounder is a guy who has the potential to be one of the top two or three best players at his position. And if he doesn't have that potential, he's a middle rounder. Yeah, but what round <laughs> are we talking about? I mean, yeah. well, I, 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 mean guess I, I guess it's where those guys go. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess Al's designations there are, are pretty good. All right, so rough rough estimate. Five. It's a guideline, then, but yeah. You take yeah. the first five. You I would the go as deep five. as seven, maybe even for early rounds. All right, you take the first six. You take the last <laughs> six. It's something like that. Um, yeah. But to answer your question, rounds five and six, that would be like early to mid. Right? Yes. Okay. 
All right, thanks, Rodney. Thanks for all the questions. We'll let you know who's going to lose to us in the podcast league tomorrow. Probably just, you know, I, I got to say it right now. Lose to Scott. He's a two-time reigning <laughs> champ. You know, we got to give him his square in the bullseye. Uh, it was yeah. it was pretty scary there at times last year. So yeah, I, it, it was a bit of an upset last I was, year. I was surprised I yeah, you pulled, came through in the end. Yeah, you did. Because, yeah, you really had to come from I, behind to, I think, just get in the playoffs, right? And then you... Then you, you yeah. I had my top three pitchers that I drafted last year were Latos, Clay Buckholz, and somebody else. Equal, oh, Brett Myers. Those were the top three starting pitchers I drafted in the podcast league. So it was wow. an uphill battle that I ultimately won. What does that tell you about the availability of pitching? Tells you a lot. Sure yep. does. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow.